0: your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're back in Galatians. We took a short trip to 1 Corinthians the last few weeks. I want you to notice your outline, by the way. I I rarely try to emphasize. Yeah, kids, you can go. I don't normally note the title of the message, but today's is pretty important. It's called Walking a Thin Line. Walking the Thin Line. And what we're going to be talking about is legalism. Legalism, in many respects, is destroying a lot of churches. So we want to look at legalism. But again, it's walking a thin line because we're not going to throw out standards. I want you to hear what I just said. We're not going to throw out standards. Let me say it one more time. We're not going to throw out standards. There is right and there is wrong. But there's this other area called the gray areas. Okay? This will be a two or three week deal. And again, it's found in Galatians chapter 5. He doesn't use the word legalism per se. But what he's getting at, and just let me pick out three verses. Verse 1 says Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's legalism. It's a legalism in the formal sense of somehow thinking you can earn your way to God. And we'll be back to this verse in a moment. The next verse is found in verse 13. For you, brethren, again, have been called to liberty or freedom. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. That's our theme for this year, through love, serve one another. But notice, he went all the way from legalism, thinking you can earn your salvation, to saying, okay, I know I can't earn my salvation, and it's license. License being, well, I can just live as I please because I'm saved. I can live for myself. Really, the middle ground is, not, is neither legalism nor license. It's found in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Which he just mentioned in verse 13. Opportunity for the flesh. I'm not going to advocate a little bit of legalism and a little bit of license. What I'm going to advocate is this. The true path of the Christian is walking in the Gospel. Is walking in the Spirit. Is letting the Spirit of God fill you. And depending on the Gospel, not depending on your own works in any way. Okay? So again, we're not trying to say, okay, well, Paul said the extreme of legalism, the extreme of license is wrong. It's somewhere, no, no. That's not the middle ground. The middle, the the, the center point is this, that you depend on the Gospel, that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you. Okay? And I want to lay that out right because when, as we're walking this thin line, it is going to be very easy for you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I've realized that over the years. Um, I just had this happen to me recently. Somebody wrote me something and basically said I was wrong and yet then restated exactly what I was saying. In other words, people hear what they want to hear. It's very important that we hear what God has to say. Again, I'm going to point out in in my intro, and I know that we're going to be out of time today, and again, this will have to be, again, next few weeks. But I'm going to point out three words that I want you to, again, keep... Remembering The first one is the word liberty or the word freedom. Now, it's not in your outline. You may want to write it down. We have freedom. Authentic freedom. That's the first word that you have to get. Again, verse 1 of Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. By the way, when I use the word free, when Paul uses the word free, we're freed from some things and freed for some things. It's not just from. It's not just negation. We're freed from some things. We're freed from sin and the consequence of sin and the guilt of sin when we receive Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. We are freed from sin. We are freed from the guilt. We are forgiven when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. He forgives us. That's one of the things we're freed from that Paul is referring to. Christ has made us free from that guilt. You no longer have to pay for your sin. He did so on the cross if you have received Him. By the way, have you received Christ for salvation from your sins? But He's also set us free from the curse of the law. Galatians 3 says that. 3.13 We're free from that crushing yoke of the law, of the 613 commands that just would crush a person because you can't keep the law. That's the whole point that we've been dealing with up to this point. Again, on the cross, Jesus took the curse and the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. But not only that, we're free from death, spiritual death, because Christ lives, we live in Him, right? In Christ. That's why that little phrase, in Christ, is so important. And therefore, we're also free from Satan because he was the one that, as it were, had power over us in one sense. In one sense. Hebrews talks about that. Sin, death, and the devil. One man said this, Trusting in Jesus Christ frees us from the tyrants of humanity. Sin, death, and the devil. But not only that, we're free from fear. You fear fear. Sometimes people uh, have anxiety and worry and fear and all those things. It, it's something we still struggle with, but you know what? In Christ, we don't have to fear the, the greatest of all enemies, and that is sin and death. He, he's freed us from fear. By the way, fear and freedom are mutually incompatible. <laughs> In other words, when you understand what true freedom is, you can't have that fear there. And, but that is the struggle of life. We fear. I liked what one secular humanist uh, said. She said, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Now, think about that. What is she saying? Because my sin condemns me. But you're free from fear because you don't have that sin condemning you. Again, we should be shouting the fact that Christ can forgive sinners. But also, we are free from self. Self. Having been bought with a price, we are not our own. We are Christ. And we don't have to live for our You know, you think about how many times self is used in a negative term. At least as Christians, we would look at it as negative. One man did a study and he said, 50 times at least self is used. In the sense of a negative like this, self applause self-absorption, self-assertion, self-indulgence, self-gratification, self-pity, self-importance. And you know what? Jesus Christ comes along and saves you and he saves you from yourself of having to walk down that path. See, the power of the resurrection can transform you from being selfish to being what? Unselfish. It's always great to watch Christians serve each other. Because I often think, you know, what would they be like without Jesus? Because Jesus breaks us from ourself. We become consumed with him and his purpose and his people and not ourselves. That's what we're saved from. That's called sanctification as far as the self part. But we're also saved for something. True freedom is freedom to be our true selves as God has made us and meant us to be. And and you say, what do you mean? Like we ought to be to be able to worship God, to be willing, to be wanting to serve God, to want to actually obey God, to actually want to serve people. In other words, God's rescued us from ourselves, but now it's for being able to do all the things that God wants for us to be. By the way, sometimes we run away from that. Sometimes we get tired of that freedom of serving others and somehow think, well, if I just have a little bit of time for myself, I see this sometimes with retired people. I really do. And not, not anyone particular, but the idea is this. I've worked a long life. I've served a lot of, and now just give me some time for myself. Really? You'll never, if you think you're going to experience God's blessing in that situation, forget it. Cause you weren't, you weren't born for that. You weren't, I'm saying spiritually born for that. You are, you are spiritually made alive to serve Him to the day you, until I bury you. Okay, that's how you have to think of it. And if you end up in a nursing home and you can't do anything else, keep praying for people, because that's how you can serve. You really need to think it that way. Because that's what God made you for. I'll give it to you in the the illustration of a fish. Okay, say, what do you mean? Well, God created fish to live and thrive in water. Right? Their gills are adapted to absorb oxygen from water. So, water is the element in which a fish finds its identity. As one person says, it's fishiness, it's freedom. That's where the, it finds its freedom. It finds itself in the element for which it was created water. It's limited to water, but in that limitation is freedom. Do you get that? In that limitation, there's freedom. Now, now let's suppose we have this little tropical fish, and he's in this little bowl, and he's looking around, and he's saying, "Man, I want to be outside of this bowl, and I'm going to really just want." And then they, you know, it takes a... you know, and he's like fishy, and then he jumps out of the bowl. Well, if he lands in a river, he's actually got more freedom. But if he ends on the car, lands on the carpet or some concrete slab, what happens? He dies, because that's not what he was made for. Do you get the point? Fish were made for water. Now, ask that of yourselves. Or, I mean, what, what are we made for? What is the element in which human beings find themselves as, as water is the element in which fish find itself? Again, Scripture answers this by this one word, love. By the way, that's the second word. The first word we looked at was freedom. The second word is love. We've been looking at it for the last few weeks. Human beings are made for love because God is love. When he created us in his own image, he gave us the capacity to love and be loved. So human beings find their destiny in loving God and in loving their neighbors. What I'm saying is this. It's no accident that the scripture says that the greatest of all commandments, the primary, the first, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. There's no accident there. That's what you were made for. That's why I say, if you try to run away from loving people, you'll never be fulfilled. A true human existence is impossible without love. Living is loving, and without love we die. John Stott says this, That brings me to a startling Christian paradox. True freedom is freedom to be myself as God made, us, made me and meant me to be. And that is loving people, loving God. God made me for loving. But loving is self-giving. And in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself to others in love. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to myself centeredness. Gets right back to that whole freedom thing. Don't go after an opportunity of flesh. No, serve one another. Love one another. That's where my fishiness is. And then what does he do? So there's these three words. There's freedom, there's love, and then God connects us to a body of believers and says live that out, called the church. Whether you're talking about the universal church, see it would be just e- it would be very easy cuz we are connected to the universal church. In other words, when you get saved, you're placed in the spiritual body of Christ that's universal of Christians throughout the ages. But then he puts you actually into a local church. Local church may have believers and unbelievers, but the idea is you function physically in the local church. See, we want to function together. So the third word is unity. Freedom, love. But do you see how unity works in that? He says, I want you to show love. As fish is to water, so you are to love. But now I'm going to give you an actual, uh, actual group to love not going to just be theory in other words have you ever been to class college class and you think man this is a lot of theory like how does this work and some for some of you you figured it out because you went to you know a job and got a job and then now oh, i see how theory works when it comes to the church god says i want you to lovingly serve one another but yeah and i'm going to give you a group to do that too by the way this unity issue is a very serious issue with the lord unity is huge If you think of Ephesians 4, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Keep the unity. Keep the unity. He didn't say create the unity. He's already created it when he placed you into the body of Christ. What he says is, I want you to keep the unity. That's difficult. It's difficult because we get selfish and we have pride and arrogance. We want to live for ourselves. That's the that's the flesh. But he says, I want you to keep the unity. This theme of oneness is throughout Scripture, Romans twelve, be of the same mind towards one another. Philippians two, fulfill my joy being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. In fact, Paul in Second Corinthians twelve twenty, and this was his concern. This, is what, this was Paul's concern when he, as he was dealing with the Corinthian church. And if you think about the Corinthian church very fleshly. 2 Corinthians 12.20 I am afraid that perhaps when I come, and he goes on, he said, this is what I'm afraid of, that perhaps there will be strife and jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbance, all these things that cause disunity. I'm afraid that when I come, you're not going to be a unified group. You're going to be fighting and arguing and all these other things. And that's a concern of mine. Not not just in this church, but in other churches, but in this church. That we would really be unified. That we really would work well together. Because these sins that I just names, named are sins of personal conflict that destroy the church. In other words, anger, temper, slander, gossip, arrogance, jealousy, those destroy the church. Do, A lot of churches have been destroyed over the years because people allow those things. So it's not just about freedom and it's not just about love, but it's about those things creating unity, not disunity. Unfortunately, the habit of many in the church, both universal and local, is to judge other believers. Now, immediately you're going to say, well, I don't judge, probably for someone else to do. But actually, we all do in some respects. We judge we have our standard and then everyone else fits somewhere along where our standard is. Based on, and the, by the way, these judging other believers is based on their own convictions and views of the Christian life. People develop these strong convictions and live by them. And there's nothing wrong about that. That's good. The problem though, not only do they live by these convictions themselves, they also expect everyone else to live by the same convictions. Have you ever had that happen? If someone doesn't hold the same exact view on a subject, then that individual is judged as at least to be less spiritual or at the very worst to be in open rebellion against God. And there's a lot of judging going on. I remember an old uh, story about a pastor, and I think it was over in Europe. But anyways, he got up one morning, it was Sunday, and he looked outside and he saw that the roads were blocked because there had been so much snow and ice. And so he was actually forced to skate on the river to get to church because there was a river that went right by that actually led right up to the church, in which he did. When he arrived, the elders of the church were horrified that the preacher had skated on the Lord's Day. After the service, they held a meeting where the pastor explained it was either skate to church or not go at all. Finally, one elder asked, Did you enjoy it? When the preacher answered no, the board decided it was all right. Because, see, they thought it was breaking a commandment, and therefore, but if you didn't enjoy it, then that was okay. You know, there are a lot of passages in Scripture about judging. James 2 talks about it. don't have time to go there today. Matthew 7, judge not. But then again, he's talking about the hypocrite. We've looked at that. But one that's important is 1 Corinthians 4 5. You may want to write it down. 5 and 6. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 and 6. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels, or rather the motivations of the heart. In other words, don't judge the heart now. You can't judge someone's heart. That's what Paul is saying. You can't judge a person's heart. Now you may immediately say, "Well, are you saying you can't judge anything? No, no. Paul in Corinthians says that he judged the incestuous man and found him guilty without even being there. I'm not saying you don't judge, but you never try to judge the heart. The motivations of why someone's doing something. So again, do you see how this is a thin line? Because I'm not saying that you can't have rules and standards. I'm not saying that you never judge a situation. But what I am saying is, you would never judge the heart motivation of that person. He goes on in Corinthians 4, 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. In other words, I'm living these out. That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. One version says, not to go beyond what is written. In other words, written in the text, written in scripture. Don't go beyond what's written in the scriptures. There's a lot in scriptures. There's a lot of things that says thou shalt and thou shalt not. But don't go beyond that. That's the gray areas. A lot of times we do that. Because then you are puffed up on behalf of one against the other. You're going to cause division. See, judging and making wrong judgments can cause a lot of problems in the church. It causes a lot of disunity. The problem is, again, that we there's a tendency to be judgmental in our Humanness, our sinful humanness. And that that is called legalism. Legalism diverts us from a Christ centered life. Legalism makes us walk in the flesh because it's proud. It doesn't depend on the Spirit. I don't need the Spirit's direction because I know what I know the standard already. In fact, I not only know it for me, I know it for you. And by the way, if you don't do it, you're on spiritual. Now when I say the word legalism, especially when you're talking about Galatians chapter five, verse one, because again all of the book up to this point in, in Galatians one through four is talking about legalism in the sense of becoming right before God, being justified before God based on your works. Obviously that's wrong. We're justified by what? Faith. Justified by faith, not by works. But again, legalism in the in the primary sense means adding good works to God's grace. So we have this conflict between legalism and license. Verse 1 and verse 13. If you're not in Galatians 5, go there because we'll be you know, hitting back and forth. So again, legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God, doing something. And the other extreme is license. License is antinomianism, which is against the law. In other words, there's no law in my life. I just do whatever I please. God doesn't care. So, I, so I, sh- shall I sin that grace may abound? What does Paul say? God forbid, right? These two extremes. But there's another form of this legalism. And it's not saying that I, I get to heaven through works. It's saying this. I've got my standards and my standards are God's standards. And my standards that are God's standards have to be your standards. Again, it's, it's a form of legalism that looks towards sanctification, not justification. If you think you're going to get to heaven by works, that's part of ju- justification. But the legalism I'm going to be referring to for the next few weeks has is, is got to do with sanctification. In other words, yes, I'm saved by grace, but now I'm setting up this system and I have to live within this system and I'm going to push everyone I know towards that system The standard and what you end up becoming is cookie cutter christianity everyone has to look alike say things say things like you're in this form and by the way if you don't fit in the form you can leave right that's what legalism says if you don't fit the form leave because you're making all of us uncomfortable in fact we don't even think you're spiritual by the way i don't feel a lot of legalism around here sometimes i do sometimes but not a lot my, wife, my, my daughter went to a school down in uh, Florida, very legalistic. I mean, she was written up for everything, including running across the parking lot trying to get to a class and somehow someone saw her dress and it, it went up a little bit and I think they saw her ankles and she was written up for it because that wasn't spiritual. So it can get pretty intense. In other words, legalism in this sense... In regard to Christian morality, is simply creating moral standards beyond what the scriptures have revealed. Now, you might say, by the way, not only have they not revealed, but again, you believe that they have and you are going to push it. You or your friend. Let me give you some of them. And and by the way, there's a lot of them. And some of these you would say, that's not legalism, that's a standard. All I'm trying to say is these issues are not directly uh, um, uh, written about in Scripture. You have to take biblical principles. Now, a lot of these, you can take biblical principle and come out with a, this is what God would want for this situation. But you can't be legalistic and say, and thus saith the Lord. No, no, he said it through principle. And some of these are not even that. They're really a free area. By the way, if I said this, that part of this legalism, these gray areas, I'm talking about adultery, idolatry, hatred, loss, lying, covet, slander. What are those? Is that Are those gray areas? Those are sins. Thus saith the Lord. By the way, when we, and back when I was going to college, you know, one of the things, the hair length of the, of the uh, men, you know, that was a big deal. Like, you know, if your hair was over your collar, I mean, you're just not spiritual. By the way, do you see what happens if you become legalistic? The things that don't matter become big, but wait. But then somehow the things that really do matter, like gossip, like coveting, like lying, like fornication, are just kind of put on the same par. Do you see how, how deadly that is? And let me give you a few, ca- a few things. People that, how people judge others. Entertainment, movies, television, cards, pool, paintball, paintball, computer games. By the way, there are principles, if you are involved in computer games, five hours, you know, at a whack, I'd say you're a bad steward of your time, but again, am I going to call it sin? You have to be careful here. External appearance, clothing, makeup, jewelry, hair. I mean, that was a big one down south. All those things. I've heard it said that if you wear makeup, you can't be spiritual as a girl. You know, it's just like, you know, just just let. What is that old saying? If the barn needs painting, paint it. You know. You you have heard that before, haven't you? and Maybe not. Music styles. Music styles. I mean, how can anybody listen to country? But they do. You know. Parenting. I taught a man that, I mean, I taught him with, uh, that a man would say this, the teacher would say this. If you feed your baby on demand, you're a bad parent. See, that's a judgment. Dating courtship, or betrothal, and, and, and it 's even gotten to the point where well, if you don 't court, if you just date, then you, how can you be spiritual? Well again, there are principles that are i mean I think it 's advantageous this concept of courting, but do you see how do you see how judging can creep into the church very quickly that 's all i 'm saying the education of children huh. you send your kids to public school. <laughs> I think there's a lot of division that happens between homeschoolers and public schoolers. In fact, one pastor said he thinks that's the most divisive thing in the church today. Okay, where you shop, I can't believe you bought from Tops, Walmart, Kmart, you know, Disneyland, long-distance providers, boycotts. Again, I'm not saying not to do it. It's when you look across the aisle and say, I can't believe... Birth control: it robs God of his sovereignty and rebelliously refuses his blessings. I've heard so. So you give me, Bible translations. you have to use King James' Version. Only. Politics. You're a Democrat? Whether you dress up for Halloween or you don't. You, whether you celebrate the fact that there's this guy called Santa Claus or you don't. Owning things. This is a quote. There is no way someone can drive a car like that expensive and be a godly man. Food. I mean, it's even getting like this. Saturated or unsaturated fat. I don't know. Separation's a big one. You hang with whom? Well, if you hang with them, I can't. When I was growing up, it was it was felt like that. And I know you, some of you are charismatic, but that's how it was in the church. Like, well, if, if you hang around that person, he's charismatic. And that's third away from me. But if you hang with him, I can't hang with you. It's called second generational separation, I guess. You know, Sunday activities, whether you watch the game or you don't watch the game, you play football or you don't play, mixed swimming's an issue, environmental issues, there are debt issues, oh, wine, dancing, smoking. Smoking is a sin. I remember going to my father-in-law's church down in Georgia, and, and like after, I told you, after the service, and I think I even preached to that, like here are all these deacons, and they kind of like made this like um, walkway. You had to like walk through on the, on the sidewalk, and they were all smoking their cigarettes. I mean, it, not only that, but I think it was their... They had grown the stuff. <laughs> I, I don't mean I don't mean the weed, I'm saying it was tobacco. <laughs> Chewing tobacco, tattoos, body piercing, ear piercing. Do you get my drift? There is a lot of things and you know what? Subtly sometimes it creeps in and we start judging. It's okay to have your standards, but if you're going to make your standards, I have to, for someone else, make sure that it's biblical. By the way, there are a lot of those things that I can give you biblical principles on that should guide you to to make a correct decision, okay? I'm not, remember, thin line we're talking about, okay? But again, we can't say, thus saith the Lord. Those things aren't even, you know, they didn't have a lot of those things in Scripture. Now, legalism's defenders, you know the name Pharisee. You know what Pharisee means? Separated one. And they sought to live up to their name. They formed a self-righteous and holy community with themselves, the Pharisees. They were legalists. By the way, see if you can identify, because I can identify people that I know that are like this. They were legalistic isolationists that had no respect with those outside their group. You don't, if you weren't part of their group, you were mud. Okay. They were less spiritual. That's what they thought. They believed strongly in God's sovereignty. By the way, like we do. But over time, they, they came to believe that they were alone, they alone were true Israelites. They thought of themselves as super spiritual, but their spirituality was, it was entirely external, consisting of the pursuit of meticulous observance of a multitude of religious rituals and taboos. I mean, they had, in fact, they just, they even did this, they actually made up. Uh, on top of what the Word of God said, 365 other regulations, one good for every day of the week, or every day of the month, or every day of the year. What am I saying? <laughs> I guess I'm trying to rush here. 365, you get the point. They called it the traditions of the elders. By the way, these traditions were strongly condemned by Jesus. Jesus. Because in Matthew 15, this is the whole point. Verse 9, he says, "...teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." You're teaching as doctrine these commandments that are just man-made. And that invariably what happens wrong when you start doing that because you start seeing God's Word and God's law and God's standard as equal to your own. So again, we have to be careful. Now again, it's good to have traditions. I'm not throwing out traditions Obviously, I'm not throwing out standards. I'm not throwing out the law. There is the moral law that will hold for eternity. But I have to keep asking myself, am I a Pharisee? I have to ask, do sometimes we judge like Pharisees? By the way, I do. I have, I have very much appreciated this church over the many years I've been here because I have felt like a lot of the Phariseeism has been kept out. I want you to know that I am not saying I'm not preaching this sermon because I think, boy, we got a real problem here. God, no, no. I love preaching when there's not. I don't sense the problem. But I want to. I want to put you on guard that it's easy to do that, especially in, in your own individual life, to have your standard and look across the aisle and think, well, yeah, yeah. I'm glad they come, but man, you know, I would wouldn't want to have my kids over at their house. See, the problem with with legalism is that legalists... Now, catch this. This is a very important statement. Legalists do not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to direct men in the right living. That's the whole point. That's why you see in Galatians, he goes from freedom, not license, opportunity, to flesh. and That's why he gets right to walking in the Spirit. In other words, legalists say this. If I don't put the box up, if I don't delineate very clearly the do's and don'ts, and a lot of don'ts, and if I don't push you in that direction... Well, who else is? Holy Spirit? Didn't the Holy Spirit bring you to the salvation? Didn't the Holy Spirit place you in the body of Christ? Isn't the Holy Spirit the one that convicts? You see, I'm saying it's very easy for a legalist to discount the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got to. I've got to. Philippians one six says, "Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Christ." There's got to be freedom, because if we don't give that freedom, God gives us freedom, and if we don't give that freedom, what ends up happening is you're creating cookie cutter Christians. I see it in my own family. I sometimes I don't give my freedom to my children. This is the way you need to go. Why? Because this, after, after 30 years of being a Christian, this is my conviction. Yeah, but they haven't been saved that long. Right? They need to work through this. I need to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in their life. Now, if you tell me that you're in some blatant sin, I can say, thus saith the Lord. No, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. Sin. No, I'm lying to my parents on a regular basis. Sin. Now, you know what? I just want... More stuff. Covet. See, those are, you know, I'm not sure about getting a tattoo. Well, let's think about this one. You, did, you do remember the time that Ashley came in after shopping with Patty Foster, and she had this, what was it, a nose earring? It turned out, and I was pretty calm, right? I was pretty calm. <laughs> You know, I like, let's, you know, one, we'll never let her go to Patty Foster's again. But <laughs> and By the way, there is, there is such a thing as parent parental protection. I mean, I, you know, that's part of, but anyways, it turned out to be a nose ring, you know, magnetic thing, you know, and she was, they had a big laugh, ha, 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 you know, at, at dad's expense. In other words, legalism as a system of rules, as a system of rules, does not provide for decision-making opportunities. That's what it doesn't do, because it says this is how you should live. You don't have to ask any other questions. You don't even have to go to the scriptures. I'm telling you how to live. So the decision-making is out. You're not growing a Christian then. You're not growing a Christian. And what I find is the focus of legalism is not the person, but the institution. How dare you look differently than the way we look? So the focus becomes the family or the school or the church when there's legalism around. It's not about the person growing in Jesus Christ between him and God. It's about you becoming part of us and you have to look and dress and think and everything else like us. And so what happens? The outcome of legalism quickly is you become judgmental. Very, very judgmental. And with judgmentalism, your soul shrivels. It just does. Because you're not depending on the Spirit of God leading you. And it's very joyless. Just a bunch of rules, most of which are don'ts. <laughs> you're, don't have your hair that long, don't have tattoos, don't have earrings, don't, you know, watch this, don't watch that. Again, I think if you're watching pornography on the TV, that's wrong. But again, to say that every PG-13 movie is wrong, I can't do that. Do you know what I'm saying? That fine line, that thin line? Legalism is demands uniformity. Legalism is superficial. That, that's what legalism does. That's what the outcome of legalism is. It's judgmental, it's joyless, it demands uniformity. And it it's very superficial. Because basically, if you just get my list, you'd be okay. Quickly. What's the right response? By the way, I think it's legalism that's driving a lot of kids from the church. The Southern Baptist did a, and I know Ken Ham's book too, but the Southern Baptist did a survey back in 2002. And they found that 88% of kids are leaving the church at 18 never to come back. Now, some of them probably do. But the point is this, there's a lot of kids leaving the church. And I think a lot of the reasons are all these standards, but they don't know why. Why can't I get that tattoo? It might be as a parent, I say, you know what, that's my house rules. That's not God's rules. This is house rules. Do you see the difference here? And until you become twenty-one, you obey my house rules if you're gonna live under my house. After twenty-one, maybe I'll go with you. No. (laughs) Okay, let me give you some I'll give you just a couple, well, maybe five, and then we'll done, and then we'll start up next week. I think the first thing is this, and this is not written in your notes, the first one. The Christian life is about heart change, not externals. That's what you want to... That's the response to legalism. We're not talking about externals here. We're talking about heart change. Proverbs 4, keep the, 4.23, Keep your heart with diligence, all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Out of it, it's about heart change. I think the second, and again, is not on your outline, teach the gospel in the milieu of life, in the middle. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all talking about. In other words, it's the gospel that frees me from both legalism and license. It's not the middle ground, it's the third. We need to be saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, He did save me from sin and from self, and He's freed me to be what God wants me to be, to love Him, to love others, from self Ishness. He's freed me. But that doesn't drive me towards sin. That drives me to do that what he wants me to do. That's the gospel. He purchased me not to live for myself. I think the third is this: recognize that God makes it clear that some things are wrong. That's huge. Yeah. If you worry and if you are filled with hate and if you covet and if you constantly compare and you fornicate and you are an idolater that is wrong. I'm not going to put it on the same I'm not going to put that on the same standards as if you have a tattoo. Do you see what I'm saying? I keep saying tattoo cause of, or earring if you're a guy. Number 4, admit that we have questions about many issues. And I think especially to the kids we have to admit that. There are questions. There's the difference between God's rules and house rules. As a parent, I need to let them know that. And don't equate biblical commands with personal opinion. I do have... By the way, I'm a very opinionated person. Yeah, yeah, Brett. I should be... Any any spirit... By the way, any spirit-filled, godly, mature person should be. If you just kind of like say this, well, I don't care. Well, you're not spiritual then. <laughs> no. No, shouldn't you soaked in the Word of God, shouldn't you have opinion? Shouldn't you have conviction? But again, remember I've been around for thirty plus years. They haven't. Do you see the problem here? I'm trying to get them to be everything that I am right now. And they may not be like, I'm not trying to get them to be me. But the point is, is I've, there's been a lot of paths I've walked, a lot of ditches I have fallen into. I know my own personal weaknesses. I know my designer sins. There are certain things I won't do that you're free to do. I will not do them because they will lead me into temptation. I'm, I'm unique. Yeah, I know you would say that. But uh, they are too. Two more. Two more and then we're done. Study and teach the whole counsel of God. Again, we are responsible to God personally. Trust the power of God in in our lives through the Holy Spirit to effect change. Trust the Holy Spirit. I love Ephesians 3.20. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to His power that works in us. He's going to do it to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen Ephesians 3:20 trust him trust him that's hard by the way isn't it hard to trust people to the lord and then finally be honest with one another and especially with again our young people going back to what i just said rules may be helpful but rules Texas won't make you spiritual It's only the spirit of God that makes you spiritual. Rules will not make you spiritual. The keeping of rules cannot be a gauge of spirituality. God is more than sufficient through his power and through his grace and the spirit of the spirit of God in our lives to really do his work. And just because I have a list and I've seen this, I've seen it in my own life, by the way. It's the power of God that has to change your life. I'm a pretty structured person, and I have at times in some of my designer sins tried to set up situations where there's just a lot of standards, a lot of mechanics to it to try to keep me from sinning, to do the right thing. But I have found, which is exactly what the Scripture says, that unless I'm walking in the Spirit, all the mechanics in the world don't make you spiritual. It's the Spirit of God that makes you spiritual. It's the Spirit of God that makes your children spiritual. We have to, as parents, we have to, as leaders, we have to, as spouses, push the people around us and push ourselves to the fact of recognizing, you know, Lord, you saved me. You saved me from a lot, for a lot. And it's you doing the work in me. And when it comes to people around me, though I can give advice, and I'm very quick to give advice, and I can give you my standard... If it's a thus saith the Lord, I'll say thus saith the Lord. If it's a, if it's a gray area, by the way, next two weeks we're going to be looking at gray areas. No, how do you get wisdom to decide the gray areas? I'm going to give you the principles in the next few weeks. But the reality is this. Lord, it's up to you to work in that person's life. Just by me giving the list doesn't make them spiritual. Unfortunately, honestly, a lot of pastors and a lot of churches don't understand that. They think the list is what makes them spiritual. Isn't it great that we are free in Christ? Isn't that great? And you're not free to indulge yourself. You're free and you're really free to be able to be the real you in him, be able to really, really love him and love people and to worship him. And at this time, you have an opportunity to worship him. Let's stand.